welcome to the PLUS Careers Podcast, accompanying the careers interview of issue 50 of PLUS. For this podcast, we went to see one of our colleagues at the Millennium Mathematics Project at the University of Cambridge. Steve Hewson works for the Enrich website that some of you might be familiar with. It's a freely accessible website containing mathematical enrichment material and problems for all ages from primary onwards. Steve's role at Enrich is to develop and coordinate content for people from 16 years of age onwards. But before he arrived at Enrich, he was a researcher in theoretical physics, an investment banker and a school teacher. Rachel Thomas met up with him to explore his varied career. And she started off by asking him what got him into mathematics in the first place. I'm from a very non-mathematical and scientific family, so um, certain members of my family are really uh, incredibly bad at maths, as bad as you can be. Um, but when I was five, I found the Reader's Digest Atlas of the World, and at the begin- at the front there was this great two-page picture of the solar system with the sun and the- all in scale, and it was really fascinating. And I found that really, it drew me, and I'd look at this picture for absolutely ages. And then when I was about seven or eight, I got this book on the universe. And in it, there was this thing about black holes. And I decided at that point that um, I wanted to know about black holes. So I kind of thought about it a little bit and realised that I had to do a PhD in general relativity. And that was my goal from the age of eight to do such a thing. So you decided at the age of eight to do a PhD in general relativity? Yeah, I did. Yeah. (laughs) It was a bit weird because there was no, no family input, but I, it was just a book. I thought this is really nice. Time is bent and space is warped. And so yeah. um, I kind of plugged away slowly uh, towards this goal, including, you know, when I was 13, I chose French because I knew you had to have French to get into Cambridge, which was the best place to do maths, which you had to do to general relativity. So I kind of was quite driven to do this from quite young. Um, yeah. So schooling, I kind of just heads down and worked towards that idea which was quite exciting Um, and so that was sort of what got me started on the sort of theoretical physics maths route which which I was really interested in. So your direction from school was was really to head towards um, theoretical physics and did you enjoy the math that you did at school or really you were just viewing it as a tool to get where you needed to go? It was I found it quite easy at school and it was um, I had this vision that maths at university would be more interesting and that was what kept me going. I mean, the thing I really enjoyed at school most was chemistry, actually, yeah. because it was sort of hands-on and practical. And the maths was quite routine in a way. But I'm glad I stuck it out because I was indeed correct that maths at university was light years more interesting yeah. than it was at school. Yeah. So I really enjoyed my maths degree. Uh, so I stayed on to do the part three maths here and then did a PhD in black holes. And, well, and then it turned into string theory after that. Um, that was the hot research area. Yeah. So... I kind of achieved my goal, I suppose, at the yeah. age of 27 when I got my PhD. Um, and then I did wonder what to do next. <laughs> so I did a research fellowship in here again. Uh, so I did a couple of years of, of research into more abstract material. And when you were working as a research student and then as a fellow, can you give us some kind of overview of what sort of things were you doing when you were doing that research? Um, well, it was... The great thing about research is you've got a really hard, open problem to work on. And you can spend months or even years working on these things. 
but it was extensions of geometry and symmetry. So black holes, I mean, the thing that makes a black hole interesting is a warping of space-time. So the way to understand space-time, sort of loosely speaking, is it's a curved surface, like the surface of football or some other object. And a black hole is where the surface gets so warped it punctures. So it's all about geometry and uh, gradients and tangents and so on. And the research I was doing was an extension of this idea of, of sort of geometries. So instead of just working in three space dimensions, in string theory you work in nine space and one time, typically. So I was doing 10 space and 2 time. So I was interested in 2 time physics for a while as to you know, what geometries with 2 time directions were compatible with sort of physics as was understood at that time. I, I managed to sometimes get my head around you know, the other dimensions required for string theory that they're rolled up very tightly, but I have not actually heard of things with 2 time dimensions before. Well, it was a bit of a fringe topic. I mean, there was I worked on it, and only a couple of the people did. But I'm I'm convinced that it will play a part in the final picture. Obviously, that's been quite a um, dedicated path from age eight, deciding you wanted to do a PhD, to achieving that at age twenty-seven. Did you have time to do other things along the way as well, other interests? As a student, I did quite a lot of rowing, so I was on the college uh, first eight for a period of time. And, for me, university was really exciting. I, 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 did, I tried my hand at many activities, you know, choral singing and hockey and you name it. I was pretty bad at most of them, but it was good fun. And that was <laughs> the main thing about it. So you got your PhD and went on to postdoctoral research here at Cambridge. Yeah. And where did you, what did you do next? Well, I knew I'd always want to do research for a PhD, and I wasn't quite sure whether I fancied a postdoc. And after two years, I, I wanted to widen my experience and it was very focused and intense so I went to work in the city in a big investment bank in Canary Wharf um, it was it was an interesting story really because I saw an advert in the paper and I had to a careers consultant and I just thought apply out of interest and he said I thinking I had a year of research to go so I just get you know get my get ready and uh, he said well we'll send you to this bank for interview for some experience so to feel for what Skip. And I, anyway, I ended up getting the job, which was unexpected, and uh, I thought, I've got to take this opportunity. So I went to work as a quant for a few years, uh, doing interest rate modelling, which was really, really cool. That's quite a different environment to work in, to working as, as a researcher at university. What did you like and dislike about it? Um, the, the, the pace and excitement was really good in the bank, and the people were so smart... I mean, the people in research were smart, but they were really bright in banking. I really liked that. And so whereas in research you could go through maybe a day without really talking to anybody, mm. here it was much more lively. But what I did enjoy most in terms of the maths was the fact it was, it was really pragmatic and practical, practically driven. So the turnover for problems was much quicker. And I really enjoyed having an idea, implementing it, and seeing the results in the order of a few weeks rather than maybe the few months or even longer that it was in sort of pure research. And it was a real buzz to see your maths being used to do some pricing. You know, it's quite scary as well because, you know, in two-time physics, there's no real downside. You know, <laughs> If I made a mistake, then nobody was relying on it. But in, in banking, where there's a whole chain of importance, it was it was really exciting to have that. And what sort of, you said you were modelling interest rates, what sort of maths does that involve? Well, typically for 
finance is all about derivatives. And it's not, people who hear the word derivatives, it's not derivatives in the sense of differentiation, which is what I would have previously thought. A derivative is something where something you're selling has a price which is derived from something else. So uh, you could sell something which depends on the share price next year. So the price depends on something. And to work out the maths involved with this, there's a lot of, um, it's called stochastic calculus. So it's where the things that you're, the underlying variables are random, so they change over time. So you have to extend calculus to be this statistical version of calculus, which is really fascinating, actually. Um, so there's a lot of that involved, but there's also a lot of basic mathematical problem-solving skills. Because if you've got some messy financial problem, the skill is to work out what are the important quantitative features and then work out what maths you need to use to solve that problem. So it's it's more you try and work out how a problem works and find the maths needed to solve it rather than focus on a certain branch of mathematics. And did you find any resonances with your experience as a researcher in theoretical physics at all? Whether people, many people who go to work as quants on the train floor have to have a PhD actually in maths or physics or something. And whilst the content might not be used specifically, the, t- the skills of tenacity and problem solving that you face as a researcher were critical to be able to do that job well. So if I'd gone as a, if I'd, I know personally, if I'd gone as a fresh graduate, it would have been too complicated for me to understand. Um, but the skills of dealing with hard problems in research really set you up for, for life. So the main transferable skill from my research was just the ability to think and solve really hard problems. And you're a fairly happy person at the moment, so I'm taking it that you got out of the finance industry before uh, 2008. <laughs> when did you leave the finance industry and what made you go? Um, well, my, the, the arrival of my first son, well, I'm my only son, actually, my first kid, uh, was, was an obvious one. And again, for me, life's more about experiencing different things rather than doing the same thing for a long time. And um, I just felt it was time to move on and, and experience something new. Because the hours are tough. You know, I'd get into work at seven and leave at past seven. And whilst you, if you do it every day, it's, 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 it's a tough job. But uh, yeah, so 2004, I decided to become a teacher um, because I wanted to get back into academia. And I thought the best way to do that would be to get in through teaching, to get into maths education. Again, for me, it was something new and a new area to think about. And they did this fast-track teaching scheme. I thought that sounds interesting. So a leadership training program. So I went, came back to Cambridge to do a PGCE and sort of took things from there. And um, how long did it take to train if you're on a fast-track scheme? Well, you, you qualify as a teacher in the normal time, so that was the one-year PGCE. But the fast-track is, it trains you for a leadership position in education. Uh, so it's more getting you ready for being a deputy head or something like that. So it goes in parallel to being a teacher. But I was in the classroom as a trainee almost straight away, and then one year afterwards I was a, I was a newly qualified teacher. How did you find teaching? Teaching was very, very difficult. Um, I admire teachers completely. You know, the, the the demands of the job are severe and they were too severe for me. <laughs> Can you give us an idea of, of what those demands are? What what were you what did you have to do in your role as a teacher? Well the main th- there are various there are lots of there's a big spectrum of schools and there are lots of really excellent schools and there are some schools which are more challenging. But the main role, I think, is to try and inspire kids to want to do maths. 
and lots of kids have a very negative view of mathematics. So it's all just algebra, and they hate it. And you, the first challenge for me was to get across the point that maths was actually quite a good subject to do. So the first stage is to get the kids engaged, and then the next phase is then to do interesting lessons, which they can see why maths is really good fun. Um, and I found that making the interesting lessons was really good. I enjoyed that, but I found the admin was, wasn't for me. There's a lot more to teaching than just standing in front of the classroom and delivering the lesson. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you've got 30 kids in your class with a whole range of issues. And um, before learning can begin, you need to be able to build a rapport with these kids. And if the kids are, are troubled in any way, that can take quite some time. And that's when the disruptive behaviour starts. And to deal with disruptive behaviour every day is, is quite draining, actually. So teaching is harder than theoretical physics, research and theoretical physics and working on the trading floor. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so how long did you teach for? Uh, it was two years. You said that some of the transferable skills you took from your research was being able to tackle difficult problems yeah. and stick with them. Were there any aspects of your mathematics training and your previous work experience that you used as a teacher that that you might have found surprising? One of the main things was the kids were really interested in what I'd done. So they found it quite exciting that their teacher had done these things which were quite exciting. And for the teacher then to say, well, you could do these things too, it was quite motivating to a lot of the kids. So simply having done these things was was a real positive positive thing. this analogy doesn't want to come across wrong, but I had a lot of sets which were alternative curriculum. So these were kids who did just two GCSEs, so they were they found things a bit tricky, and I found I worked really well with those groups. And I think the reason was because trying to explain things to traders who have no time, you have to have your explanations really clear, quick, and to the point. So there's no point in finance of giving a big long theoretical explanation they just want to know how it works for time pressure reasons and so I got used to explaining things very clearly to people and that clear explanation was really handy with the kids who found maths quite hard um, so those you know these trades were smart so I'm not, I'm not saying the same but that's that skill of relating something which is complicated to a different audience that that's the same skill that I used in teaching and finance and um, so now you work uh, as part of the Enrich project, one of um, a sister project to Plus, um, working on Key Stage Five material. What what does your job here involve? Um, well, I'm so-called post sixteen coordinator. So I'm trying to develop Enrich for people aged sixteen to nineteen, which is A level, but also maybe the first year at university. So the main thrust of the job is to develop interesting problems, which sixth formers can really get into the maths. But sort of second to that is taking the material out to schools and talking to teachers and um, people in universities and students and demonstrating the material and getting ideas. Uh, one of the things we're doing at the minute is on a science project to do lots of science-based activity for Enrich. So I'm developing physics, chemistry, biology material, which is quite new because typically it's been just mathematical. Uh, so that's, that's good fun at the minute. And what made you originally think about going into maths education? Is it because of your own experiences at school when you were studying maths? Yeah, I suppose I ought to mention, I wrote this big 
maths book. I started to write when I was doing my research and textbooks were quite dry. So I thought I, I'd, I planned a different sort of maths book, which would introduce the topics of maths at university in a way which was accessible and intuitive, but correct. So that took me, it took me five years to finish, actually. So I finished it when I was in finance. But I'd already been interested in the transition from school to university. That was, it's always been of interest to me because I found the transition to here very, very difficult indeed. I mean, Academically. The, yeah, I mean, I was, whilst I'd done well at school, you know, I got my top grades up, the school ha- hadn't been prepared for the level of thinking required. So I, I really had coasted for my entire school life because I hadn't really been challenged. So I was, I guess, mentally quite lazy, I think. And the first term here I found almost impossibly difficult. You know, I went from getting 100% to getting 0%. And it was, that's a big, it was a big transition. And I, I did manage to work through it, so I did okay in the end. But I was very aware at that point that good schooling made all the difference. From a social justice point of view, I was really interested in that, as to how that could be tackled. And my book was sort of one aspect of, of that. When you say social justice, do you think that the school experience for some young adults prepares them better for university than the school experience for other? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think even even in very good schools, um, based on league tables, uh, the best students are neglected because there's this sort of feeling that if someone's going to get all their A's or A stars, then they've succeeded. But if their ability level is quite a bit higher than that, then they've not really succeeded. They're, they're, they've underperformed relative to the examination system, sure, they're fine, but they're not ready. They could have done so much more. And this is why Enrich is so good, because it empowers teachers to be able to give really rich lessons to all, all the kids. Um, and also students to, if they're self-motivated, as I was about black holes, to, to pursue their interests sort of further. So to be on an enrichment project for me is absolutely ideal, you know, because I can start to put some of my ideas into, into action and hopefully there'll be some positive results. If people reading, listening to a podcast or reading the article are thinking about going into any of those areas, either to research at university or into finance or teaching or math education. Is there any advice that you'd give someone um, who is looking to pursue one of those careers? Yeah, absolutely. You want to practice your problem-solving skills. So problem-solving means you, you essentially take something which is relatively open and challenging and requires thought and you train your mind to think your way through problems. Because the things that I've learned overall, the thing that connects all my activity together is that I'm skilled at solving problems. So a new task, whatever it happens to be, can come along and I can be relatively good at working out how to do something with it. Uh, so at any of these stages, what you want to do is practice problem solving via something that you find interesting. So enriched problems are an example of where you, you train your mind to think in certain ways, um, but there are, you know, there are plenty of good books out there which do the same thing. So it's not so much getting information, it's more actually doing the exercise mentally where you solve things, do puzzles that's the, that's the overall top advice I'd give And that's it for this Plus Careers podcast 
To read the accompanying article and to look at pictures of Steve, go to plus.maths.org slash issue 50 slash interview. And to access the Enrich website, go to enrich.maths.org. And Enrich is spelled as N-R-I-C-H. My name is Marianne Freiberger. Thanks for listening and bye-bye.